Um, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, Vision part two. Um, uh, I'm not going to recap everything that we looked at last week. I'm hoping that most of you will have heard it by now or had a chance to listen in. And, uh, and if you haven't yet, please do listen in on the church website via our podcast to talk from last week. It will help, help this morning um, make a little bit more sense. Because um, uh, if I start talking about apples or bees or chickens or eagles, I could be in a, you could be expecting a David Attenborough um, voice to come along. But um, actually, that was all in the talk last week. I'm not going to go into great depth about all of those things um, this morning. I might mention something about the apple in a minute. But before, before I actually really get started, um, as we were worshipping then, I just felt nudged to, to share one or two other little things. Um, we, talked, uh, we talked last week, um, didn't we, about how... Um, how, how the church in some ways, each of us in some ways, um, are, are like this apple. And how uh, uh, the church might look, um, it, it is, it's a nice apple. And it's really nice, and it's really good, and I'm sure it would be really tasty. But that if as a church, if as individuals, we carried on just seeing ourselves as an apple, it would eventually just die with us. And that what we needed to start seeing was not just trees, but orchards that might come out of what God has given us here and in each of our lives. And um, maybe it's because I was thinking a little bit about that. Maybe it's because we've just been praying for the youth. Maybe it was other stuff in the worship. But I just sense that there are some people here who have no idea of the potential of what God's calling them to. I, I think of... Um, some of the people that were, I'm, I'm pushing out of an aeroplane this week, as it were, <laughs> we're pushing out of an aeroplane this week, um, in some of the youth going to Serbia or to Peru, um, as Ben is. I think they have no idea the potential that's within them. Uh, I think that not only will you be an extraordinary blessing where you're going in, on this trip, and I'm looking at you too, Ben, but that actually Ben said one of the things he's going to be doing is digging wells <laughs> for a lot of the time. I think often these mission trips dig wells for you, actually, that in the rest of your life as you see God move and begin to see him use you as you go to these places, they become wells that you draw on in the rest of your life. I think there are people here who, in new seasons of life, like Peter, I felt the Lord saying, and I don't know whether this is just for Peter, where is he, or he, um, whether it's for, he's in there with the youth, maybe you'll hear me. Uh, or whether it's for others as well. Uh, Peter has faithfully laid down foundations over the last however many years of his walk with the Lord. But I felt the Lord say like it was just foundations. <laughs> Actually, it was now that he was really going to build the thing above the surface that was going to give him extraordinary glory. And, um, and there might be some of us here who feel like we're heading on in years, but actually all that God has been doing is laying the foundations for what he's about to do in your life. I think there's some people here who, um, who are just um, mums overwhelmed with young children, but you don't realize who you're raising in the Lord. And you don't realize how it's going to shape you and your dependence on the Lord. I think there's some people here who think, um, I don't get this wrong. Um, teaching assistants are amazing people. <laughs> amazing, amazing people. But there's some people here who thought, oh, well, maybe I'll make a teaching assistant. And actually what the Lord wants to say to you is, you're going to be a head teacher. 
You have no, or at least spiritually, you have no idea of the amount of influence you're going to have in the number of children in helping them grow in life and to the fullness of life. As somebody said to me as we were, um, I've had all sorts of emails this week about apples, <laughs> um, reminding me about all sorts of interesting facts about apples. What Alan said was really interesting and profound. Where's Alan? Um, and what he came up and had the courage to share. Um, actually, all of our apples are imperfect. This church is very imperfect in lots of ways. The glorious thing is that however imperfect our apples look on the outside, the potential is just as great on the inside. Uh, uh, Pete from the Pulse team said to me, you can count the number of pips in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a pip. <laughs> it's a good point, isn't it? I don't think we know now, and we might not know until we get to glory, some of the things that God is going to bring out of, some of the orchards that he's going to bring out of, some of the individual lives here and out of this church if we remain faithful to him. If we do the small things well, that he might do the big things in and through us. Remember Nicola's message from last week as well. And um, I wonder how your apple's doing. Mine still looks very appetizing. Dave Stickland put his in the greenhouse, so it's decaying a lot faster. Um, <laughs> But um, do let that use uh, inspire you to pray. Um, I should probably also add a health and safety thing. I did say, I said, leave it, leave it to die, to make you grieve for the waste that it would be if we didn't release the potential that's within us. Um, make your heart ache for the waste that would be and pray. Um, but uh, I want to say as well, um, don't just leave it on your window ledge until it's actually crawling with maggots. That that would be counterproductive and make you all unwell. Um, I hope there's a brief health and safety thing around it, but you get the picture of why we're doing it. Um, enough about apples and enough about um, those other little pictures. Um, can you turn to Matthew 28, really famous passage. It'll probably appear on the screens as well, but hopefully you've got a Bible with you, or you can fire one up on your phone. These famous words, um, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I really hope that this church is a place where there are people who worship Jesus when they come, but there are also people that feel welcome who have their doubts and their questions still. If that is you here, you're really welcome, and we're delighted you're here. And there you are in the passage today. <laughs> when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, last week, um, uh, in that talk, we painted some broad brushstrokes. We talked a little bit about how God had been speaking to us through things in the past, remembering where we'd come from as a church and trying to listen well to that, uh, how he's been speaking to us uh, through one another and through the leadership here and through dwell and our prayers um, in the present and uh, what he might be calling us to in the future. We painted some broad brushstrokes. I shared some pictures about um, gears and apples and all the rest of it. Um, this week, we're going to dig a little deeper. And can, we, can we have up um, Daniela's amazing artwork um, that she created with our vision statement? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it stunning? 
As I said last week, I expected her just to write the words a little bit neater than I would, and she created that. We've got that somewhere in the church, haven't we, on a flip chart? Where is the, the actual thing? It's in the back. Maybe we should bring it out at the end, and people can have a look at it a bit closer if they want to. Um, uh, we, um, and we articulated this as a fresh vision t- statement for the church. It's kind of where we feel we've landed, that we're a family of God. That's really important to us the sense of community and the ups and downs of life, that we be there for one another, that the thing that defines us, every time you hear a family of God, don't skip too fast past it. Because we're a family of God, that reminds us of the whole of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead for our forgiveness, for our redemption, that we might live full lives, adopted, treasured, loved into the family of God. Don't rush past it too fast, but we're a family of God, sharing his heart, to reach the lost, grow the found, and transform our communities. Reach the lost, grow the found, transform our communities. Reach, grow, transform. Uh, My hope is that uh, in the coming weeks, I don't know whether, hands up who thinks they've they've got that memorized already. It's not, not, you won't get any special prize. A few, Bex has, brilliant, me and you, we got it, and the rest will catch on. Um, I'm hoping that over the coming weeks that you'll um, embed that as you pray into it, as you try and find your place within it? Uh, What is your God-given responsibility at this time to step up to take hold of some of that vision for yourself? What's your reach, grow, transform goal for the year? How can you play your part um, in that? So a family of God sharing his heart to reach the lost, grow the found, and transform our community. And this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time just digging into that second half going a little deeper into the reach, grow, transform bit. Um, Perhaps you'll be challenged personally. I'm going to set us maybe uh, one or two challenges in those areas for us as a church as well, as we look to the short, medium term of fulfilling the vision that we feel God's given us. First of all, uh, reach the lost. Why is that so important? Well, some of you will probably be able to um, repeat the, uh, finish the end of this first before I've before I've got there. But it says in the scriptures in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. In chapter 15 of the same gospel, a few chapters earlier, and chapter 19 is actually reminding us of chapter 15, he tells this very famous story. He tells three stories of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And the first one about the lost sheep, of course, is that the shepherd, who is Jesus, leaves the 99 who are found to go and save the one that is lost. This needs to be front and center in the first part of our vision because all too often in this nation, I'm sad to say, and I don't say it with any joy, there are a lot of churches who are looking after not just the 99 and not going for the one, but actually looking at church attendances in this country. They're looking after the one and leaving the 99. We cannot be a church that looks after the one and leaves the 99. If you look at the numbers of people in this parish, actually, and the number of people that go to church, it's more like one in 44. (laughs) But we cannot be a church that looks after the one and leaves the 44 in our community. We have to try, um, like um, I used this illustration about a year ago, actually, um, when I was prayer walking around the area. I I clocked all of these uh, virgin broadband things outside every house. Do you you notice, if you live here in Merley, you've got a little box with virgin broadband, and virgin have given everybody in this community the opportunity to be be connected to high-speed broadband internet. (laughs) And I felt the Lord saying, we as a church have a responsibility to try and enable every household, every person in this community connect with their God. 
not just have high-speed internet and be lost in the dark ages of dial-up internet or whatever, but actually they are lost to God and to the family of God, and it's our responsibility to reach out to them. God has always been a God of mission. He sent Abraham, he sent Moses, he sent the prophets, he sent the judges who we'll be looking at in our all-age summer series. Nice, cheery, not bloodthirsty at all summer series for our young people. Um, He sent Jesus and he sends you and me. God is a God of mission. It was put this way once in a talk to me. The person said, God is a God of mission. He's out there in the community. And so if you don't go with him, you'll be left behind. God is constantly a God of mission. Of course, the Spirit of God is doing work in here this morning. And there will be people who need need God to do work in here and in these gatherings. But he's constantly out there looking to seek and save the lost. And if we want to be with him, we need to be a church that joins him. We need to be a church that reaches the lost. Do you know, um, I wonder how you react to that phrase, lost, reach the lost. I wonder if you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you read that and you think, I'm not lost. I'm fine, thank you very much. We wrestled over that in our staff team when we were looking at this. Do you know where we landed? We landed even more passionately. We have to keep that in there. One, because as I've already illustrated, it's what the Gospels say. It's what the Bible says. It says that each and every one of us is estranged, estranged from the family of God until we're found by Jesus. And then we come home and we're adopted into his family. It's the Gospel. Uh, it's to remind maybe those of us who have been found of the urgency of the Gospel. But just think of this. I looked up in the dictionary the definition of lost. If you don't like the word lost, if it feels a bit... um, It's someone who doesn't know where they've come from, doesn't know where they are, and doesn't know how to get where they're meant to be going. I meet a lot of people who don't know where they've come from, don't know why they're here, and they don't know where they're going. We need to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we won't shirk away from that word because it's what the Gospels preach. So I wonder, for you as an individual, what is your reach goal, as it were, for this year? Who is your reach goal for this year? As I was walking back from the school run last week, I uh, stumbled into an elderly neighbour who always spies on me, actually. She knows everything that I'm doing. (laughs) she's one of my reach goals this year she's already being reached in amazing ways by Derek and mixed blessings and one or two others in the community that's how I first got to know her she doesn't come to church I had a lovely quick chat with her in her home dispelled one or two anxieties she had about the church that she knew and rejected her and so she rejected in her youth and suggested that the church might not be like the church she's rejected. I wonder who is your reach goal this year? And for us as a church, we have a reach goal this year. One of the things, hopefully many things, that we'll be doing to reach out is uh, some of you will know um, that in the last year or so, um, we've had an amazing group of people join us who are a missional community in Wimborne. They call themselves The Point. Some of you will know who I mean. 
And um, uh, one of our reach goals for this year as a church is to see how we can resource and support them as they seek to reach the lost and the unchurched and the dechurched in Wimborne and beyond. Because you know what? I felt the Lord say, well, if you can reach a few this year, you might be able to reach more next year. If you can grow a few this year, you might be able to grow more next year. Each step, we do the small things that we can and trust that God will do the big things amongst us. So this year, a reach goal for us is to see whether we can support the point as they kind of restart things after a period of rest for them that we might partner with them and that actually we might learn the lessons from what they do to reach people who are far from God and would never normally come to church. It might be that some of you go and support them. It might be some of you just pray. It might be some of you have a friend who would never come to church but who might come to the point. So that's going to be one of our things as we seek to reach the lost um, this year. It's hot, isn't it? Turn to the person next to you and just say, I'm hot. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, you're hot. Yeah. We'll have a marriage preparation course starting in this spring. <laughs> it is hot. Where's my glass of water that's down there? Um, we need to reach the lost. We need to grow the found. I was really challenged by this. Um, uh, a clergy conference study day that I was at this week where somebody said this. They said, the nation doesn't need more Christians. And I was like, did I hear that right? He said, the nation doesn't need more Christians. It needs more disciples. He said, the church, there are many churches in this country who are full of Christians who come and listen and then leave. That what we need is disciples who are transformed and go on to transform the world around them. We need disciples who make disciples, not just Christians who listen and leave. Don't get me wrong. Of course, if you want to use the word Christians and you do go into all of that stuff, that's fine. But he used it to make a point. It's been said that the greatest need in the church in this country is not to grow numerically. There's some great churches who can gather a crowd, but it's to grow the found spiritually. That each and every one of us find what it really means to live the life that God has called us to leave, lead. To really plumb the depths of how he has formed us, the foundations that he's laid and the orchard he's asking us to plant in our lives. We need to grow the found. Our reading, in our reading, it says that it, it points out that Jesus' strategy for reaching the world, for reaching the lost, for making disciples, go and make disciples, is to send out disciples. It's to grow them. And it's the repeating strategy. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. We need to make disciples who are taught the fullness of life that is found in obeying everything that Jesus has commanded for their lives, that put their lives under, under Scripture and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
We need to grow the found. I want to um, encourage you as well, though. Um, Nathan Norris, who was one of our organizing team uh, for the weekend away, he's the bursar at Castle Court School, said he was so grateful to the church family here, to the disciples that were here, for the impact that they made on the staff team at Castle Court last weekend. He said the team couldn't stop talking about how lovely you were, how you said thank you, how you helped serve and tidy up and bring stuff back to them. They felt something because you were living life differently to what they were used. If you have kids that go to Castle Court School, that means this church is better behaved than your children. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just laying that out there in case some parents are going, hang on, what does that mean? For precious Bertie, yes, he needs to remember his P's and Q's. Um, The point is when disciples actually live like disciples of Jesus, Monday to Sunday, and not just turn up and listen and leave on a Sunday, actually it impacts the world around them. And I want to say one or two things about, this is about growing in maturity as disciples. I want to say one or two things about what a mature disciple looks like. Because um, we had some great and very helpful teaching on, uh, for example, the prophetic and how to grow in the prophetic last weekend. And um, some of us found God speaking to us through normal everyday objects that were put out there and a kind of like, let's just begin to try and think and, uh, and give ourselves to hearing from God. And how might God speak to us through all these different things? But you know, for some of you, that didn't work and raised more questions than answers. Uh, I want to refer you back to another talk of mine a few weeks ago when we were talking on spiritual gifts. And I said, you know, we, we need to find a way of echoing with Paul, eagerly desire the greater gifts, including prophecy, for example, he says, but also not dishonoring every part of the body that is all the different gifts that God has given. That's so important. And why always in Scripture, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's the character of Christ that always trumps gifting. That's why in the same section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, which I was preaching on at the wedding I had to dash off up to last weekend, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not, I'm just a clanging symbol. Spiritual maturity looks like love. It looks like long-term faithful obedience, putting one step in front of the other in obedience to God. Spiritual maturity, R.T. Kendall put it this way. This is good. This is challenging. Challenge me. (laughs) Spiritual maturity looks like the amount of uh, time in between you sinning and needing and repenting. If that's a long period of time when you know you've done something wrong before you say sorry, you need to shorten that time. Spiritual maturity looks like love, it looks like repentance, it looks like an obedient walk before the Lord. It looks not like Bible knowledge and having an amazing Bible you've got in your gap here. It looks like Bible application. There are lots of people, and uh, people that rejected Jesus, who knew their scriptures very, very well. Spiritual maturity looks like Bible application. How different does your life actually look the rest of the week? because you've submitted every part of your life in every way way to Scripture. 
That's what spiritual maturity looks like. That's the kind of disciples that we need to grow. Everyone, everywhere, in every way, growing into the disciples that God has called them to be. So I wonder what your goal might be under grow. Uh, one of the things that we're, we're, we're taking the opportunity to do now that Phil and Annabelle have moved on is we're restructuring a little bit the team that oversight, overlook, give oversight to the life groups in this church. Uh, really, before it was Phil had oversight over the life groups in our church. The, the life groups here, if you're not already part of a life group, please join one because they're amazing. And they're where actually you'll probably grow more than listening to me on a hot Sunday where you'll get to discuss and, and receive prayer and share and be real and honest with one another. Uh, Phil's been doing a great job providing oversight for those, and they've grown. But um, we thought, here's an opportunity, actually, to try and pull together a team. And I'm delighted to say, and I know you will, because everyone I say this to is like, oh, brilliant, great idea, is that we pulled together a team to give oversight to the life groups and to review them a little bit. How are they doing at what they're called to do? How might they be shaped differently to help be part of delivering this vision? And um, I asked Howard and Anne Oldfield if they would head up um, a group giving oversight to that. And they, in turn, with brilliant wisdom, invited three other couples to join them to give oversight. So the Luddingtons and the Hatchards and the Millers. So we now have eight wonderful, amazing, godly people who are going to help give oversight and ask questions about and try and breathe new life under the grace of God and the power of the Spirit into our life groups, these key discipleship engines that help people um, who are disturbed be comforted and help those who are comforted to be disturbed for the sake of the kingdom. Isn't it wonderful that we've got people like that to do that? Can we give them in anticipation of a round of applause and thanks for what they're going to be doing? All of us, through those life groups in every way, and we referred to this last Sunday as well, need to grow in our understanding of our adoption into the family of God. The authority that we have, because the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in each of us the assignment that he's given us, the orchard he's called us to plant, and the assurance that we have. The last part of the scripture that I read must not be um, overlooked. And Jesus says, and I will be with you to the very end of the age, even in Peru, <laughs> and in Serbia, and in Wimborne, and in Merley. I will be with you as you go in my name. Finally, transform our communities. There was this lovely prayer refrain, again, that happened at the clergy study day. We actually sung it, and you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to try and sing it. But um, we actually sung this prayer, and I thought, yeah, it's a great prayer. Thank you, God, for some of the liturgy that we've inherited. And the whole room of hundreds of clergy in the Salisbury Diocese were singing this. Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. Can you say that with me? Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. Say it again. Through our lives and by our prayers, your kingdom come. This church already does extraordinary things in this community. As I mentioned, I bumped into a neighbor who doesn't come to church who couldn't stop thanking God for mixed blessings. 
I know others who um, are befrienders, a part of the Shine Network and the stuff that Tony and Roz have set up to look at, at reaching some of the loneliest and hurting in our community. They do an extraordinary job. Uh, some of the comments and emails that we get back as a result of the toddler clubs that we run here from people who otherwise wouldn't have something to come to or couldn't, and their children absolutely love it here. There's so many things that uh, we're doing, contributing to food banks. Uh, the Lantern Love Fund. One of the things that I was most excited about in this first year here was the Lantern Love Fund. If you don't know what that's about, ask someone afterwards. But through your generosity this Christmas, we transformed at least 21 different families and individuals Christmas because we were generous, because we were kind, because we gave away from what all of God had given to us, and it was transformational. I got cards, Christmas cards, as it were, from some people in our community, which really are thanking all of you, not me, after those gifts, saying this is the best Christmas ever. I can't believe that the church would do this. I don't even go. It's transformational. We had a leaders' evening earlier on, just before Christmas as well, here. And, and this is what some of your leaders sat here amongst you said that they would long to see happen in our community and through our church. That no one in our community would be lonely or uncared for. That loneliness would be eradicated that people would know where to go for help and for love here at the Lantern. That everybody has heard about Jesus in a personal way. That he's talked about on the streets and in the shops. That people pray readily and openly for healing and many are healed. That the GPs would refer people to the Lantern. You laugh. I know churches where that started happening. No joke. It sounds ridiculous. But it's true. Actual GP advice. I'm not sure what else we can do. Go and see the, the healing team at that church. Seems to work for some people. That we would be the most welcoming place in the community. That we would be full of youth throughout the week. That God would reign and that God's love would be tangible in our community. That this would be a place where people would say they helped, them, helped me when I was lost. This was back in December, people said this. That my life was transformed. It's a safe place. It's a place where I get healed. Several people also said things about a cafe. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a place of hospitality here at the church? And you know, I have to say, one of the things that um, coming into this community and just, just watching, trying to listen over the last year, is I have one of the things that's grieved me. There's been lots of things that have given me joy. Um, one of the things that's grieved me is the number of people I've seen just walking past this church. There's a lot of people that just walk through the car park or walk through that side of the church and they head to the precinct or they head to the school Troops of them as I'm on the school run, going right past the church, but right past the church. We have to find ways of opening up this church more to the community. It wouldn't just be a church, a church in the community, but it would be a church of the community. 
that people would find life and hope and healing and transformation in this place as the people of God serve him. We've got to look at ways of doing that. We're trying a little pilot, something like that. It wasn't my idea, idea someone else came up with, I think. Um, in September, when there's a whole new raft of reception parents arriving at Merley First, pro- dropping off their little ones and going, oh, help, are they going to survive? And they're crying more than their kids are, and their kids are bouncing into school. And there's always, there's always one or two who are screaming and crying, and you think, oh, gosh. Um, and, and literally parents are leaving the, the playground in floods of tears. Uh, we're going to open up our doors here that face the school, and we're going to have a kind of little pop-up cafe and just welcome people in and just say, you, can you come in, cup of tea, slice of cake, can we build community, come into, this is your church too, and there's a small group of people, and we've asked the school, and they said that we'd love it if we did that. So we're just going to give it a go, just open up those doors at the back and invite people in, and so offer them a cup of tea and see what happens and what it begins and what it might birth. That would be one of our transform goals this year. And we are actually going to listen to those words that people have said and those murmurs of excitement when I said that and explore how we might develop our site here in such a way that it could maybe incorporate something like that in the future. Not because the cafe is the vision. The cafe is not the vision. Or anything else that we might do to create more space for our young people, for our youth. I still remember when I went to see the young people in September, October, it was one of the first things I did when I arrived. I went to a youth evening. And one of the things they said that they longed for, they said, we'd love to have a space of our own. They don't currently. Uh, and one of the young people in our community that I remember that did come to church, there have been others, that did come to church during this year, who doesn't normally come to church, came here because he was being beaten up on our doors, and it just happened to be that there was a meeting in here, and he tumbled here, and this was a place of refuge and safety for him. And some of us then had to try and take him home and wait for the police to arrive so that he wasn't beaten up by this gang that was still roaming around the streets wanting to beat him up. Here in Merley, if that's a prophetic sign of some of the young people that actually we need to be able to reach and have spaces where they can feel safe and at home, then we need to do that. Nicola spoke last week very powerfully. Gosh, is that the time? <laughs> um, Nicola spoke very powerfully about the inheritance that we have as a church with our young people. We actually, by Church of England standards, have a lot of children and young people. And it will be on us if we don't do everything within our power to disciple every single one of those precious disciples in the making into the disciples they're called to be. That's got to be a priority for us as well as we seek to transform our community. I'm going to have to close (laughs) and finish. I'm going to read one final quote, which stirs me. It's from a book called Courageous Leadership by a guy called Bill Hybels. And it's a vision for the local church and what difference the local church can make. And it stirs something in me, and I think hopefully it will stir something in all of us. And then I'm going to um, pray. We might have time for one song of worship before we close. Blaine the vicar. He's talking about vision. He's gone on too long again. I'm sorry. Um, This is what Bill Hybel says, and which I heartily agree with. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. 
Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. It's true. Do you know how many members there are in the National Secular Society? About 4,000. It's the same number as in the National Sausage Appreciation Society. <laughs> the church in this nation and in this community, if it would rise up and reach the lost and grow the found, it would transform our community. And I, for one, and I sense many of you, want to be part of something like that. Would you stand? I'm going to pray for us.